0: And we're going to start session three, where we're going to look at God as Papa. Love displayed in family will be associated with the mountain of family. And, uh, you know, to some extent, we all have a mountain of family assignment. We all have families, and we all have instinctive desires for family relationships, and some have you know assignments where they affect institutional aspects of family. You work for the Department of Family and Children's Services, DFACS, or if you're a judge, um, there are ways you can be one of, of more or less influence, but to some degree or another, we do all have an assignment. And we're establishing that our initial and most important assignment on every mountain is to first see. That aspect of God that is relevant for that mountain, and then study it, gazing at Him long enough to understand our mission. We want to look at Him first before looking at the problems. And uh, again, we usually go at things in a backwards way. We go uh, after family matters, we, we look at the behavioral manifestations and try to go after the behavioral manifestations. And so, We'll go after you know. How do we stop divorce? How do we stop abortions? How do we stop homosexuality? How do we stop adultery and all the other litany of sins that you can think of? Sexual abuse, fornication, and uh, but we want to start with the prioritizing with prioritizing the face of Papa God, looking at Him, the nuanced aspect of it. Again, hopefully, you're getting used to this idea, thinking in terms of the seven colors, seven faces of God. Uh, it even we ourselves, we're not just, you know, like I, I, I'm a son, but I'm also a dad. I'm an uncle. I'm a friend. And you, depending on who you are, you will experience me in a different way, based on our, our relationship. So God has these aspects, nuanced aspects of who he who he is, that he uh, makes available for us and for society. And this is the face of God to be restored in the mountain of family. And um, so we want to be looking at who Papa is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, and what are primary attributes of how God our Father is. Again, we're just going to be able to do a little bit of this. It's, the idea is, is out there that, you know, to the degree we want to be effective, we want to study him more and more in this area. We want to really get to know his far heart and uh, his, his face and how he desires to bring healing. To broken families. You know, because of society's dysfunctional family norm, that's kind of the normal now, is for dysfunctionality to exist in family, we're usually even confused as to what is a primary role of a proper papa, of a father. Uh, You know, to the degree we've niched a father as being a, a disciplinarian or an authoritarian or the stern voice of correction. To that degree, we have a, a less than desired perspective of Papa God of Father. We can't properly, often we can't even properly relate to our Father God, if that's the basic uh, reality for our own lives. And and uh, again, this is we find this true even as believers. We were pastors for been pastors for many years. Um, we see people that that are that are know the Lord. They're saved but they may spend time talking with Jesus or about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they, they skip out on father time, on papa time. It's, it's just too confusing uh, for them because of the, the distasteful realities of their personal life. But we want to take a few minutes to cover some central characteristics of our papa God. And, and while still noting... Again, he's worthy to be gazed upon much more than we're going to be able to do, but this is the idea. The more we can know him, it's the knowledge of God. This is, this is the weapon. The battlefield's all about that. We keep establishing that over and over. I think you're getting it. But, you know, Jesus went out of his way to reveal the Father to us, and he made it clear to us that, that God was our Father and that uh, this is a way he desired. One of the nuanced ways he desired for us to know him Even in his initial Sermon on the Mount, you know, starting Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, uh, he began to instruct us, and particularly beginning in Matthew chapter 6 is such a a chapter on revealing the Father to us. Twelve times in Matthew 6, Jesus refers to to God as your Father or our Father uh, or your Heavenly Father. He was making that connection. He was revealing Papa God to us, in verses one through four of Matthew six, Jesus presented to us a father, a papa that notices when you do kind things to people. We won't read those verses for time, but you can read that uh, on your own. And, and he was telling about a papa who who does who is kind and notices those that do kind things to people, and who rewards those who do kind things, um, and especially if no one else. Knows about them. If you do them in secret, he also revealed a Papa God who already knows your needs and prayer requests, and and who wants to. Uh, but even though he knows them, he still wants us to bring him our concerns into the secret place. He wants to commune and share with us, and he wants to respond to them. And we know the it's Matthew six where we get the very famous Lord's Prayer that we're talking about. And um, he reveals to us there a loving father who provides for us daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He's a father who looks to give us daily provision and one who looks to forgive us our debts and our sins. Um, So he's revealing the father to us and, and particularly as we ourselves are to do. And so he was revealing himself as the one who looks to forgive debts and sins, therefore encouraging us to be those who do the same. In Matthew 6, 26, God, uh, as Papa, is revealed as one who cares even for the birds of the air. And how much more valuable are we than the birds, he tells us. And if we immersed ourselves, uh, again, further into Matthew 6, we just begin to see this wonderful face of Papa God. It's just a, a, a beautiful thing. Uh, he's, you know, out of it, when, when you just look to uh, to see him as Papa, as Father, we see that he's caring, he's observant, he's attentive, he's forgiving Father and Papa. Uh, as opposed to, if we don't look at him and study him, we, we, we can think he's like our father was either stoic, abusive, stern. There's all these distortions, so we want to see what he's really like. Um, so. If we're going to become repairers of families, which is what we want to do, this is all in the context of reforming society, we must begin with a repaired perspective, of our own Papa God, how we see him. All matters of discipline and correction that we may have of God are not really descriptives of who he is, but rather means to an end of caring, forgiving, and accepting us. And uh, we have to see the difference of that. His discipline is to let us know we belong to him. He says, if I don't correct you, you're bastards. And so we are to I- interpret things in a different way. It's most easily for us to think of correction as rejection now, but that's not, he, he clearly lays out that that's, that's his sign that he cares for us. And it's the caring way he shares it even with us. Uh, Galatians Chapter four, and verses five through seven, Uh, we won't read them, but it it tells us there that we have received the adoption adoption of God as sons. Again, presenting to Him as as presenting Him to us as Papa, and because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father," or "Abba, Daddy." Uh, Then it goes on to say, "Therefore, we're no longer slaves or servants." but sons. This is his preferred relationship with us. Sons or daughters, if you didn't get that. It's meant to go both ways. It's not just sons, but it's sons or daughters. We really can remain servant-minded towards him forever, but it would be less than what his desire is for us. It's his desire for us to grow and step into son and daughter identity and, and a relationship with him based on that. He he externally tells us we are his kids. Uh, And then also internally through the Holy Spirit, he has the Spirit of God reminding us from the inside you are a son of Papa. You are a son of Papa God. You are a daughter of Papa God. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're one of his kids. From the inside, the Holy Spirit is telling us that on a constant basis. We can't always hear it, but that's what he's doing. And for us just to know that that's what he's doing helps us. If we reduced what uh, Papa God seeks to provide for us to just one word, like that face of God, that facet, if if we reduced it, that, that word, if it's a word, would be belongingness. Or we could put three words, sense of belonging. He wants us to have belongingness. It is, in fact, what God's love looks like in family. It looks like you belong. That's what is color, the color of Papa God, that's the aspect of who he's looking at us saying, you belong, you belong, you belong. People who feel like they belong are strong in their core. Conversely, people who don't feel like they belong are weak at their core. to the degree even for yourself that you can identify even a sense of, and a feeling of, I really don't belong, if you carry that. And you know people will do if you don't. To that degree, you're still in need of a revelation of the Papa face of God. That's how you know you need to look at him a little more, gaze at him, see who he really is. When we gaze at this aspect of him, we're convinced of the truth. When we see him the way he is, we become convinced. It's a revelation to us, I belong. Our Reformation assignment in society is then to bring that aspect of him into every matter. So we want to look at the rainbow color associated with Papa God, with the mountain of family, and that color is orange. The rainbow color of orange. We're looking at what God, who is love, looks like through another perspective of light. You know, as a reminder, the rainbow is white light. That gains a, a prismic effect when light and water interact. It's all still the whole of white light, but a nuanced perspective of it stands out in beauty. Uh, it is a heart expanding and heart, it's heart touching to be able to see God in his various colors, to be able to see him in his true colors. This rainbow God is worthy to be searched out in every way he shows up, and he'll comfort different parts of our heart and soul as we're able to see him in his expanded, nuanced ways. The knowledge of God changes everything for us. What you think about God is the most important thing about you, and we're introducing you to expanded perspectives of him that can then change who you are. As I've mentioned, I've done a little research on the study of chromotherapy, and um, which is the idea of healing through color therapy. And it was interesting to me to study a little bit about this color orange. There are, uh, you know, they, they study even certain energy characteristics of certain colors. And, and again, this is scientifically true. It's not new age stuff. There are scientifically proven uh, uh, graphs and charts that show different energies. And uh, it listed orange as a color that eliminates localized fat, And that improves energy. It's interesting. The color orange eliminates localized fat, and that improves energy. So wear orange clothes if you want to get thinner. Though I don't know if that's really where we're going with it. (laughs) But could it be that one of the reasons we have such an incidence of obesity is associated with the lack of healthy family dynamics? There are already studies that suggest that a lack of a a loving father figure is a contributing factor of child obesity. Obviously, overeating in general and eating junk food in copious amounts is a very natural cause and effect of obesity as well. But there's some suggestion that when we don't have proper care and nurture at home, that we subconsciously look to food as a source of comfort. That's pretty much established. That, that, goes, that goes on, that happens. So maybe we need an increased measure of the orange color of Papa God's love, uh, even to help balance our severe problem with obesity. And interesting also that the color orange is seen as that which increases our energy level. Uh, when we go to the Revelation 5.12 template, we'll find out that the word associated there with this mountain or this face of God is the word strength. And that's interesting. So orange is the color of strength. When you know you belong, you're strong. If his orange color doesn't properly shine into society through his healed sons and daughters, then this deficiency of the orange hue of God leaves us even as a weakened society. So it's part of what our assignment is is to strengthen society by representing the orange hue and color of who he is in society. So we will look, having mentioned the Revelation 5.12 template. Again, the Revelation 5.12 template is going from Revelation 5.12 that says, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing, seven attributes of heaven and of himself that we are both to receive and then give back to him, that the one associated with the mountain of family, and with him, has he, what he provides as Papa God is strength. Um, when we, I, where we identify um, this godly value and virtue of strength in this way and look at it, it becomes something that uh, really uh, really secures us at our core in a new way. Um, and, and just to remind you, this, this Revelation 5.12 template is What the angels cried out with a loud voice after Jesus became worthy to open the scrolls. But when families are strong, strength is returned to society. I think everybody knows that. A strong society is built on strong individuals who come from strong families. Worthy is the lamb to receive strength. The strength he has poured out into mankind, even via families, is worthy to... He is worthy to receive that back. The lamb receives strengths. If we look at it this way, the lamb not only provides strength through Papa God to us, but the lamb receives strength from his kids, living out the acceptance that he has provided for them. So Satan's goal with and through families is to fracture and create weakness. He's always looking to kill, steal, and destroy. He's always looking to disband a family. That's Satan's, that's what the demons on assignment in the mountain of family is. Fracture the family, destroy families because he or she who is left without a strong family connection will often find themselves being internally fractured Uh, and very often then become a pawn, an open door for the enemy that the enemy then would like to use to advance his agenda. Satan will always offer himself as a uh, a cancerous family alternative association. He brings in the counter family, the counterfeit family, for those who are alone and orphaned. He comes, he picks off the disenfranchised, those who feel disenfranchised from families, and he connects them to the pseudo-families of gangs and pimps and prostitutes and many other kinds of dysfunctional anti-families of society. Uh, Again, we're often working at these things from the reverse end by going after symptoms, but it's not so much that we need to get rid, that that society needs to get rid of all these pseudo-families. It's that we need to provide real family. And um, real family that can see a real father presence where Papa God is seen in his real color, where real acceptance and identity can take place. Family is where... Identity and acceptance is to happen. The strength meant to come from families has a starting point, has the starting point of a proper perspective of Papa God. Ephesians 4.16 says, from whom, speaking of God, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love you know the end result is to have growth and edification both individually and as a family but it all starts from whom speaking of god all other family instruction that's not based in properly understanding just how much our papa god loves us and is for us is a secondary value for restoring family even when we're messing up horribly His pleasant and hopeful thoughts for us cannot be measured or counted, the Scripture tells us, because they're so wide and so innumerable. Family on earth looks like it was started. We could say, well, family begins with a husband and a wife, but this verse points out to us that it really always starts somewhere somewhere else. If we're separated from the one who invented family, it's really not family. Family starts in heaven from Papa God. Family must start from him, and when it does, it's the very mortar of individuals, uh, and thus the mortar for society. Family connects uh, to the strength of our relational, Trinitarian, seven-spirited God. You know, he's one, three, and seven, and uh, he's one God, he's he's Trinity, but he's seven-spirited. And there's strength there, and he pours out that strength as we can see him. He pours that out into every individual who, allow them, who allows themselves to be connected to a healthy family flow. And God knew. He knows. He knows how broken we are and how fragile we are. He knew that many natural families would fail, so he's provided for us, for all, the safety net of a spiritual family as well. And and he or she who is without either family is truly very weak. If we neither have natural family or spiritual family, that disconnection truly creates a, a tremendous fracture in us. Now, we want to point out the angelic forces that Papa God has on the mountain of family. Who's here to help restore the image of God? Again, this is spiritual warfare. This is frontline battle. It's not just good ideas. This is war. And I believe I was shown that the great angel for this mountain is one named Raphael. And um, he is the commanding presence for the mountain of family. And again, we're highlighting the name because in it is revelation on the assignment. Um, He has the assignment to assist restoring the face of God as Papa. And he has millions of angels at his command to assist with this mission. And it's important we understand some, again, I'm just reminding, we must know we have firepower on our side. When we think of all the problems and difficulty, what are we going to do? There is a big, massive army, and they have, I believe, recently been activated on our behalf because they've been waiting for sons and daughters who understand that we're to do this. You know, I, I think they weren't sent before because we didn't have, we weren't seeing this. We didn't have revelation that this is supposed to happen. Um, of course, we want to understand just about the whole mission of everything on earth. God could do it all by himself. Uh, he could do it all without us and even without his angels. But it brings him most glory when that which, what he has created, co with him and, and to restore the glory to his reputation. And appropriately enough, Raphael, the name Raphael means God heals Our God, please heal. Our wholeness is in in God. God heals. Our God, please heal. Healing has everything everything to do with the restoration of family. We think of healing of bodies, which of course is very important, but healing from rejection is an even greater need. It is said that the greatest measurable pain there is is the pain of rejection. Um, Many ask me, this is also just incidental news information for different people. Many ask me on what mountain health care is on, and, and um, it, it's on this mountain of family. And if so if you have anything to do, any, everyone that works toward healing and health is an asset for the institution of family. Uh, additionally, uh, you know, strong families engender healthy individuals uh, in general. And fractured families produce sick individuals. Again, we're generalizing, but these are things that studies back up. Studies show and reveal that upwards of 90% of all illnesses are psychosomatic in nature, um, meaning they have an emotional quotient as their root cause. And then it's known that a damaged emotional state is there, uh, generally because of a, a family dynamic of hurt, abuse, strife, or rejection and especially you know the number one uh, harmer will say to family life is if there is a an abusive or an absent or deficient father figure this always becomes a, a number one cause of, of family pain family fracture uh, and, and there's there's a reason for this you know uh, it's because when you when when a father fails this tremendously in a household it becomes that much harder for there to be a proper perspective of Papa God for the rest of the, of the family, especially for the kids when a natural f- father has failed. So. But here's the good news. that Our Papa God has an impressive army of healing angels led by a most impressive lead angel that are an assignment to assist us in seeing the image of Papa restored to our families and to the overall mountain of family in society. This is cause for great joy. We have a lot of help, and we're going to learn how to work together better in the future. And let me give you the biblical passage that connects healing and family restoration. It's Malachi chapter four, which is also the last chapter of the Old Testament. This is a chapter with two very famous and related passages. We'll just go through real quick. First in verse two and three, it says, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and you will go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Again, that's Malachi 4, verses 2 and 3. So this first passage is about God being strong with healing in his wings and thus giving us the strength, there's that word again, strength, to trample the enemy. Now what are the wings of God? God says there'll be healing in his wings. Well, if you look up the Hebrew word for the the word wings, it says the edge or extremity of a bird or an army. In other words, when he arises with healing in his wings, I believe it means he arises and sends his healing angel armies. And they, the angels, are his wings. So he arises with healing in his wings, and that is what's taking place now. I I believe um, I've been shown there's been a major release very recently on behalf of... Uh, this mountain of family and the restoration of the face of Papa God. Part of the demonic assault on families uh, is done by physical and emotional illnesses that that tear down the family, Uh, by weakening the hope and joy in a family, and by weakening, therefore, often uh, because of the illnesses, the, the economy of a family is weakened. God always comes to heal, protect, and deliver. We just want to realize that. God, particularly Papa God, is always about healing, protecting, and delivering. That's who He is. Satan, to say it again, his you know his mission, board, his mission statement, what they have written up on the boardroom of hell is always very simple: kill, steal, and destroy. And um, it's it's just uh, it's plastered there everywhere for all of them to see, and they're to use every tool, instrument in their arsenal to do so. Now the second famous passage of Malachi 4 and the last biblical communication then for another 400 years till Matthew 1 comes is in the last two verses of the chapter, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That word curse can mean Extermination by disease, I looked it up. A family-less society would be a society headed to extermination. Based on the subsequent diseases that would be unleashed by the brokenness in the individual. Strength to resist disease is broken down when family is broken down. So I believe this entire final chapter the chapter of the Old Testament is about God releasing armies of healing angels that work with the Holy Spirit to give us strength to trample the enemy and that this connects to the spirit of Elijah which turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and turns the heart of the children to the fathers. Remember in our first session how Elijah, the, the prophet Elijah in the book of Kings, 1 Kings 18, was used to turn the hearts of the nation back to their father. He said, uh, we didn't read it, I don't believe, but in verse 37 of 1 Kings 18, that Elijah is part of his invocation to heaven for a response when he was saying, hear me, O Lord, uh, the whole verse is, hear me, O Lord God, that this people may know that you have turned their hearts back to you again, that you have turned their hearts back to you. We have to become aligned again with uh, from whom, Papa. We must become, we must start from that, from whom starting place of relationship and security and strength and who Papa is and how he is towards us. The Lord says that this will happen. That's the promise of the Old Testament because if it didn't, if it, if it doesn't, he'll have to strike the earth with exterminating diseases. Now, more than him striking the earth with these diseases, I think disease is just, again, the consequence from being separated from him and his family structure. The curse is the reaping of a family, a fractured family structure. And again, the devil's demons on this mountain are always whispering. This is what they're doing. They're whispering to every individual, you are not wanted, you are not wanted, you're not wanted, you're not wanted. And they release disease by the effect of that lie. God's angels are always messaging. This is what Raphael and the angels are doing. Part of their their messaging is you're accepted. You're accepted. You belong. You belong. And they provide healing through that, healing and strength. It's truly a ferocious battle being waged on this mountain over the face of Papa God. So we want to now look at the big lie about God and the mountain of family. We kind of already deduce it, but we're going to make it real clear. So what we want to do with every one of these things is make it clear, the landscape, the battle, what we're to do, just in the same way Elijah was set up on the mountain there against Baal. It's on his mountain. What are, how are we advancing? The battle is always over knowledge in every one of the seven areas that we want to identify Satan's big lie, and we want to make, make sure we connect the dots properly as we move forward. Now, in our other books on the seven mountains, we have identified Baal as the illegally ruling principality on the mountain of family, so it's only appropriate that it would be Elijah taking him on. Baal worship, uh, as we studied into it, it involves ritual, homosexual activity as worship. That's part of Baal worship. It also involved cutting themselves, as we saw in 1 Kings 18 in the story there. It said they were cutting themselves more in order to appeal to, to Baal. It was also uh, the sacrificing of children was also appeasement to the Baal that was named Molech. It mentions that in Jeremiah 32, 35, kind of their form of abortion. And as you see from all this, as we can see, Baal is, is the, the bridge, the enabling bridge to, to aberrant families, uh, uh, to creating aberrant families that then encourage aberrant behavior, uh, it, and we're we're used to going at things backwards. We often go after the symptoms first, or behavior alone. This is how we have to uh, make our own adjustments as we advance with the knowledge of God, because that's the powerhouse. Is knowing Him. You ultimately don't stop abortion, or homosexuality, or general sexual debauchery, uh, or the cutting that many do from the outside in. Uh, you cannot heal internal matters by external pressures. Laws or ordinances. Um, As I think I said earlier, abortions are down almost 50% in America from 35 years ago. Yet, not because laws changed. Roe versus Wade hasn't been overturned. Um, And there's, you know, we haven't managed to put more external pressure, but because there's uh, been stirred up in our society some correct internal values. Um, towards life in general. And, and the rights and value of the individual are being championed as never before in society. This is an aspect of the knowledge of God that is expanding. They haven't made all the, they haven't connected all the dots just right and invited the Lord in. But really, um, this, is, this is a, a sign of, of the knowledge of God growing. And, and because, you know, as, as never before, the individual rights are being championed um, and if you ask, well, then why are we becoming so pro homosexual? If, if God, if this is an aspect of knowledge of God going into society, the answer is that it's um, for the same reason. Society wants no one picked on. That's what's going on in society. Society wants no one picked on, and that aspect is godlike. Um, and in this, they're they're ahead of a lot of the church. In this. In that aspect of it, often the church tells or at least implies um, to homosexuals that you're not valuable unless you stop. If you stop being homosexual, then you're valuable. And, um, but we, we understand that we're not valuable be, you know, only once we're done being deceived and in sin. But that's often what we're telling the world and we're preaching in churches. It's like, you're not valuable because you're stuck. And God rejects you, therefore. And then you're gonna go to hell unless you repent. So we're working on things from the end and then we've got these, you know, we've seen banners and posters that continually show up for the news world to see and they think that's a representation of what Christians believe. And you have these banners, God hates you, God hates homosexuals, you're going to hell. Uh, and they come from Christians who think who think this is holiness, Um, and to the degree we're in that camp, or allow this to remain our stance to that degree, we are behind even society's insight into the heart of God. The knowledge of God that says all individuals are of equal value has hit society as never before in society, and they've spread it out to cover almost every classification They don't want any, I'd say it again, they don't want anybody discriminated by race, gender, economic status, by sexual preference, by your handicap. They don't want bullying on Facebook. This is God's heart for humanity. And historically, again, the church has been the last to catch on. Um, They have a bad track record for hundreds of years in America. In America, for hundreds of years, it was the church that was against equality among races. It was the church that had doctrines that fought against the unity there, the equality. It was a church that was against equality among genders. If you bought it, and we did as a nation, even whether you follow all aspects of the predestination doctrine, we bought into the predestination doctrine that said you were slaughtered or destined to be less than. This is your niche. You know, God, sorry, he's in charge and he just chose you to be predestined this. That's the way it is. That doctrine of predestination was used to keep race... Uh, 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 to keep oppressive race laws um, for African-Americans, but it extended to Native Americans and many other places. And then women were less because you know, God slotted you that We're sorry. And the church would preach that and extract that from not properly interpreting the scriptures. Most of the church, again, now knows that they were wrong on all those things, but because of this track record of the church being the last to accept the needed reformation, um, the church is now doubted and, and when she speaks so strongly on matters, and like on the definition of marriage and of gay and LGBT rights in general. And it's important we understand this and understand this reality because we're as we enter into the fray of public debate over these issues that are all very relevant to the mountain of family and restoring the image, of Papa God, and um, I'll explain I think more of that even in in another one of my sessions. Now let's shift back to the battlefield scene. The devil is always using a lie and always presenting it as a truth, but it's a false knowledge. Uh, He's always conspiring against the true knowledge of God. He's ever working to slander God's reputation. Um, The question is how is he doing that on this mountain? The mountain of family? How is Satan slandering God in society through broken families and their subsequent fallout? That's a good question. What's the lie about Papa God he's trying to get us all to buy into? If we don't know that answer, we won't know how to properly wage war against him. Remember, all spiritual warfare is ultimately about two arguments colliding. One is a lie, one is the truth. The lie is always about God And the truth to be restored is also always about who he really is. That's the battlefield. So I'll just lay it out right here. The lie being perpetuated about God in the current family institution is that we have been abandoned and rejected by God. That's the lie. We have been abandoned and rejected by God. That's their assignment to kill, steal, and destroy. Demons are assigned advance with that lie in every way possible. The tool of rejection is the devil's simple lie that he devastates individuals, families, and ultimately even whole nations with. We already looked at the face of Papa God, and he is that Jeremiah 29, 11, Papa, who is so for us and who has hopes and dreams for a great future for each and every one of us. No one birthed in his image is destined only for damnation. That used to be contradictory to who he is uh, it would go against nature itself. How can he destined for damnation, that which comes out of himself? You just have to think through this, not logical even. So the devil goes about marring this facet or aspect of the face of God. Uh, and if he, could be, if he could do this, if he could win with this, he would be wholesalely successful at destroying society. It would result in the collapse of society if this one lie that he's trying to advance were advanced if it were not stopped, if it were not challenged by sons and daughters of the king who know better. And that's what our assignment is. So this is a lie he's been chasing you down with and me down with since before we were born. You know, it's exciting that we have personal guardian angels, and we really do, but we also have personal guardian demons. And, and they have simple assignments, and their simple assignments... Involved telling you daily, you're rejected and you've been abandoned. You're rejected and you've been abandoned. One way or the other. That's what they're telling. And they're trying to tell you that. In anything they can use, they will use. They whisper that to you from the first time you have any awareness at all, even in the womb. You're in the womb and, and you hear some loud noise. Maybe you know sounds like angry words. There might be an argument. There is your personal guardian demon saying, it's about you. You're not wanted. Uh, and you can you can uh, develop a rejection thing even from the womb. We know that now. Uh, they're saying you know they'll, they'll whisper, "You're the source of the discord. Nobody wants you." This repeated, this whispering is repeated often and relentlessly. And if there ends up being any truth to that rejection, then of course it really is more effective if it's true. But the enemy will advance whether it's with that whether it's true or not. Um, that's why I say it's it's still a lie even if parents did in fact reject you or us or whoever. It's still a lie what the enemy is whispering because your heavenly Father who thought of you, who dreamed you up, who wrote down your DNA, he has never had any thought other than acceptance towards you. That's why he sent the Spirit of God within us to say you're adopted, you're accepted. Even if your natural mother mother or father rejected you, you are not rejected by your actual father. So that's why it's always a lie. Even if you heard them say it, we never wanted you. You're still not rejected. The enemy is relentless with the lies of rejection. And it is, you know, it's even known that children in a divorce will generally blame themselves for the breakup of their parents, even if it makes no sense at all, even if it's irrational. It's because the whispering demons will say, hey, you're the problem. They were fine till you came around. You never were wanted, and now you caused this. Uh, And to make it clear, I think you're getting it, but it's not the whispering of rejection that causes the damage. It's not just that they say that. It's it's not that it's automatic damage. The devil cannot damage by telling a lie. It's the believing of the lie that causes the damage. And in some households, a child with no real rejection, we've watched that, we've had to pastor situations. We've seen where a child really didn't experience real rejection, but they believed a whispering lie of the enemy, and uh, it can play out the same as if it were the truth, if you agree with the enemy. One day, uh, or, or it can be something that sporadically happened. One day, a parent lost their temper and yelled something at him on a very bad day, and that one comment is repeated every day from then on by the demons associated with them. Now this is where Baal and his horrible cronies offer the counterfeit anti-family we're talking about. Uh, you see, ultimately rebellion is the choice to join to join an anti-family family. Uh, again, this anti-family family I'm calling there the gangs, the rebel groups, the antisocial movements, the groups known by their sexual deviancy, etc. Rejection is the open wound that opens a door to every other sexual deviancy and every other sexual dysfunction. It all starts with rejection. Rejection is the wound. It's the original wound. Um, once someone agrees with the poison of rejection, they will progressively advance with that rejection. At some point, uh, the rejection can advance where they even reject their own sexuality, their own identity. And then, the, and then they are ready to accept the deviant alternative and, and then other sexual addictions are ready to sweep, sweep in. Um, and this is why sexual deviancy, whatever else we want to say, sexual deviancy cannot be uh, successfully treated by external pressures or laws. Laws can inform on the desired norm for society, but it takes grace, it takes love, it takes unconditional love for the norm to be accessed internally. Healing comes from within, from a fresh revelation of Papa's unconditional love. If we're going to be champions for family, we must understand this. So if rejection is the initial wound, then the initial wound of rejection is what must be healed. Um, The healing starts with a profound revelation of Papa's and his heart of acceptance and love for us as individuals. It starts with an understanding of the unconditional love of Papa God. Again, that's the starting point, and and for some, that can take time. This is why we've so greatly failed in the homosexual debate, just be honest here. We think our value to society, we're, we're like schizophrenic as the church and as Christians. We think our value to society is to be the prophets of the rules, as opposed to being prophets of his love. When we lead with rules, we are leading with conditions, which by definition makes it conditional love, which is not his. Jesus would not tell the woman caught in the act of adultery to go and sin no more. If you remember that story, he didn't tell her go and sin no more until he had chased off all the accusers. And until he had secondarily told her, neither do I condemn you. He says, woman, who are your accusers? Where are they? He says, they're not here. Neither do I condemn you. It never works in reverse of that order. This is important. The Pharisees wanted Jesus' stance on adultery. Pharisees always want to know what our stance on sin is. They were... They were incensed over him being friend of sinners. Remember that? Jesus Christ was called friend of sinners. He wasn't just minister to sinners. He was friend of sinners. And they were just really sick and tired of this. They're like, man, this guy is condoning sin. Or they're going to think he's condoning their sin. Jesus, if you keep doing this, why are you not telling these hookers and pimps and alcoholics and drug addicts and homosexuals? Because there are more homosexual in Jesus' days than there are now. I don't know if you know that. But how do we know Jesus didn't go around telling them they were sinners? Because they were friends. And sinners don't hang out with someone who keeps telling them they're sinning. So the religious leaders were irate at Jesus' lack of holiness, ironic, that God could be not holy enough. So here's a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They present her before Jesus. I believe they did the whole setup. They told a guy to go connect with the hooker. They'd come in and say, we're going to catch some. We'll see if this this Mr. Friend of Sinners, what's he going to do? If he's the son of God, we're going to show him a woman caught in the adultery in the law. It's clear on that. So they bring her and say, Jesus, is this sin or not? Come on, let's stone her. You know what the Bible says. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't consider it needful to satisfy the Pharisees' demand for his stance on adultery. We could learn something here. His initial stance is always on heart first. It's quite ironic, All of it is you know, that he's the one who actually wrote out the Ten Commandments and he's being challenged on the Ten Commandments. But he wasn't going to give a stance on whether it was sin or not until he chased off the accusers by saying, if you have no sin, then go ahead and begin the stoning. As he began to write their names in the sand and write the names of their mistresses. One by one, they disappeared. Then he ministered his unconditional love for her. Only then did he tell her, go and sin no more as a standard. And even that without a lengthy speech on it. Her own conscience, now revived by an encounter with unconditional and true love, would now work what it's supposed to. It would work. It would have the, the truth within it moving forward. You see, while we're trying to tell the world to stop sinning, our God is instead prioritizing our need to properly carry his unconditional love. He spoke to me and said, uh, you know, Johnny, my church is concerned with sin in society. I'm concerned with my church not manifesting my love. It's the same reason, reason I didn't address that much in my day. I didn't address abortion, homosexuality that was taking place rampantly in my day. But the big problem is was there's was no love in my house. He says it's still my problem. We need to match our priorities with his priorities. See, dealing with a sin from an inside-out perspective will always be because of an encounter with unconditional love. Sin dealt with with an outside-in perspective can bring more order, but the heart is not affected. Outside-in control, outside-in sin control is what the Old Testament provided. Well, they attempted, actually. It was quite unsuccessful. The external rules were not changing the hearts of people, and you can read Hebrews 6 and 7. It tells us why there was need for a new covenant. A New Testament had to be drawn up because hearts weren't being changed. Even when they stopped rules, they stopped doing things from the outside. Inside-out sin control is what became available by what Jesus did on the cross. And after he sent the person of the Holy Spirit, he could work from the inside out. Sometimes we're so passionate about trying to Make society behave or be orderly, that in our zeal, we make it almost impossible for them to see Jesus, i.e., who, he who is unconditional love, because we're throwing rules at them. Jesus doesn't lead with rules. He leads with love. If there's two legs, one's rules, and one's love, he leads with love. Love. Rules chases sinners away from God until they encounter God. And this is because to an unhealed sinner, if you're an unhealed sinner, rules sound like rejection. Especially when the demon, the personal guardian demon is whispering that, you have a stronghold, the initial wound is rejection, it just feels like rejection to them. We have to have that same patience with behavior that God does. Is that unique to say? Part of it is we don't know. God is very patient. I think that might be my next book. I've been getting a lot on that, The Patience of God. Just look how he is in your own life. Furthermore, about the only thing that can knock him off his mercy and patience with you or with me is for you or me to lose our patience with others. If we say, I can't forgive him, If you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, it's the only way he said that it will affect his desire to be forever merciful with you. He forgives us time and time and time again, not if we promise not to mess up again, but if we ourselves will forgive others who have trespassed against us. When we really get that in our own lives, We'll then be able to give that away to others. Uh, We must have this revelation, this fresh revelation, this old revelation, fresh revelation of Papa God if we're gonna be effective reaching his kids and family, if we're gonna touch families and society. In closing our session on the face of Papa God as it relates to reforming society, let me repeat the lie and the priority of truth that we must be effective in bringing uh, to this mountain of family. Devil's lie can be summed up in one word. If it's too hard to remember everything else, we're telling not that there's too many things. One word, rejection. Remember, Papa saying, you belong. The devil on this mountain says, you're rejected. It's simple. He works from day one before we're even conceived. And if he can convince an individual that they are rejected, abandoned, or alone, then he is a major inroads in their life. But the truth is, the truth we war with, the truth is, we are not abandoned or rejected by God. It's that simple, it's, but it's profound how it hits our heart. When your heart knows that, when your heart knows that it knows that it knows, you are accepted by him and that you belong, it changes everything. The truth we are to bring to every heart is that we all have a doting, loving father who has dreamed great plans for each and every one of us. The way Papa reveals his love on this mountain is by providing acceptance and identity. That's where we get our strength from. This can best happen when we, who are ministers of this mountain of family, bring that unconditional love of Papa God to those we come in contact with and the way we interact with those in need. Through us, Papa God can hug the poison of rejection out of individuals, out of people, even out of the most broken. And at that point, they begin a new life of those who will begin to engage relationally with God. We have to let God love them first. We have to let them experience accusers being chased off, let them experience the acceptance of God. At this point, the Holy Spirit can now work from the inside out, bringing the conviction that's necessary. We've been trying to do the Holy Spirit's part instead of our part. Telling people right and wrong has always been easier than loving them, especially when they're in the ugly, messy stages of sin. Obviously, family has so many issues to address, it's impossible to do so in one session. Um, However, we must keep uppermost that even in dealing with child molesters, that God has not rejected them and he still loves them. How radical is that? Let that sink in. He loves his kids because they're his kids, not because they behave. He is Papa to them, to us, and a real Papa always loves. There are consequences to sin, but God still holds his arms open to all his kids. If we ourselves are not convinced of this priority, we won't be able to bring this priority to our family mountain, especially if we have an assignment on the mountain of family, especially if you feel like you have a call to the mountain of family, the structures or the individuals of family. The devil is the great rejecter. Our Papa God is the great acceptor. This is the source of our strength that our original daddy is relentlessly for us. And no matter what level of failure No matter what depth of sin, he still offers himself to us as Papa God. When we get this, Baal is thrown off this mountain of family when rising sons and daughters of the king assist in winning back the hearts of men to God, to Papa God, by demolishing the lie of rejection. Your assignment is to demolish the lie of rejection that's often perpetuated by the church through presenting conditional love. We got to lead with love. We got to lead with unconditional love. Once you chase off the accusation and ministered unconditional love, then perhaps you've earned the right to say, hey, go and sin no more.
1: Elizabeth. Oh, isn't this an amazing journey to just have an excuse to go through? These different aspects of our God and his heart towards us. Are y'all ready to hear him speak his heart as Papa over you? Okay. So first, we're just going to remind ourselves of the assurance that we have from this aspect of who God is. When we encounter God as Papa, we're assured of our acceptance. And I'm going to read this um, a few sentences over you. And to the degree that this really resonates with you, then to that degree, we want to encourage and challenge ourselves to really magnify and, um, in a very intentional way, connect with the Papa Heart of God. So the phrases are this, I need to know that God has never abandoned or rejected me and that he has and will always love me as a father. I need to know that I'm not alone and that he's not just somewhere far away waiting for me to figure everything out by myself. I need to see God's face as Papa. So I want to encourage you with each one of these to Go back through those and and really take inventory. Um, You know those moments where you're just real with yourself and you're in touch with how you're really genuinely feeling? Um, You know, I've known God as my father since I can remember. But I also distinctly remember several years ago realizing that um, even though my natural father absolutely adores me, and he's about as perfect as a natural father can get, something in my heart had not fully connected to the Father heart of God. And um, as I began to really press in, and actually, I started calling him Papa, and it felt so awkward. But to me, it was an intentional way Because I wanted to know him in in a a new, intimate way as Father. So, all right, let's, um, if you'll just close your eyes and just get in a, a, a moment to really receive his heart speaking over you as your Papa. He says to you, my sons and daughters, Can you see my arms open wide and my heart that has a place in it that literally no one else can satisfy but you? I'm so proud to be the one who thought of you before time began, the one who waited with joyful expectation for you to come alive to the reality of who I am. I'm your papa your father in heaven. You really do have a father, and I really do exist, and I really am for you. I don't have to choose to love you. I cannot help but love you because you're mine. You came from me. And if you choose me, you'll land in my arms, back in my heart, and in your rightful place as my child with me forever. I'm a kind of papa that you've never seen before. You may have had glimpses, but let me assure you that your greatest desires and expectations pale in comparison. I'm incapable of disappointing you when it's all seen in the light of eternity. I'm your protector, your strength, the one you can always run to. Though everything around you and everything you've been through tempts you to believe less than the truth, the truth is I am your faithful father. I'm moved by what moves you, by your fears, your pain, your disappointments. But I'm not worried about you. I know what you've been through, the challenges, and I know what I put in you and what you need in order to become all that I dreamed for you. I knew your weaknesses and frailties way before you discovered them. I knew the choices you'd make good and not so good way before you made them. None of it overwhelms me or makes me look away or change my mind about you. I've never, nor will I ever, give up on you. I'm not some taskmaster who needs you to perform so that you can fulfill some agenda I've created. I don't need you to behave. In fact, the only reason I care about sin, about what comes between us, is because I care about you. All I've ever wanted from you is a relationship, a real relationship, intimacy that we both feel, trust that is mutual, and love that's given and received. I can't wait for another day, every day, and all of eternity to be faithful to you and to allow you to live in my unconditional love for you. It's my delight to give you all that is mine and all that is in me. You are my sons and my daughters, which means you don't ever have to earn my love and my acceptance. I love you just like you are right now, and nothing you could do would make me love you more or less. I made you to need the strength of family. I made you to need me. need us you have brothers and sisters from the ages who love you and can't wait to see you and are cheering for you at this very moment we are your family and I am your Papa your strength I am strong in you and for you trust me and allow me to be your strength so that you can be strong for those who haven't yet discovered they're no longer orphans. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, let's wait together at the end of the road. Let's plan their homecoming party together and celebrate their journey home, their journey back into my papa's heart. Papa, we receive your love, and we just let it hit its mark in our hearts right now. You are a faithful father, and we want to know it from the inside out, and we want it to permeate the core of who we are so that we can permeate society with it. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being our Papa. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was made available by contributions from listeners like you. To donate, go online to restore7.org. Thank you.